When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Michael, team preview series rolls on. We have some technical difficulties that we've worked our way through, and we are back. Are you ready? I'm ready. Who are we, uh, who are we talking about tonight, Mike? Nate Mink, Syracuse.com, here to talk about Syracuse, Joey. Nate, how you doing, man? Welcome back. It's been a while. Absolutely. I'm always looking forward to this, guys. Every every summer, I know in, in late July, <laughs> right after media days, I know I'm going to get a DM from you guys on Twitter and have me back on. And I, I always appreciate that. And, and you guys put out a good product and thrilled to, thrilled to talk football again. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, like you said, I mean, we you basically set your watch by that, uh, that DM coming in here in, in the late part of July. So um, thank you for coming on and, and, and hanging out with us yet again. This is, I don't know, probably the third year at least that we've done this together. I think that's right. Yep. We have, we have yet to find anybody who knows the Syracuse football program nearly as well as Nate does. Again, you can find his work over at Syracuse.com. Um, Mike, I'm just going to jump right in here. Nate, I, I'm, I'm curious to hear your take. You know, we've, we've talked a lot on this podcast over the last year or two, uh, about the state of the program in general, and especially as it relates to Dino Babers. And it, it's it's fun to think back to what was it, 2018, I believe, that they went 10-3, and three, you know, Eric Dungy and, and that whole unit, and they went to the, I think, the Russell Athletic Bowl or whatever it was. You know, it was a January bowl game, I want to say. Um, and, and they were awesome. And, and other than that, like, that's kind of been like the flash in the pan season for, for Dino here. And, you know, he's going into year six, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, but at the same time, you know, Mike and I have kind of talked about in recent years, like we're, we're really not sure if, if the, the results of the football program are more a reflection on Dino Babers and his staff and their ability to coach and recruit and run a program versus just what they have to work with trying to run the football program at Syracuse university. I'm curious to get your take on, on where the balance of that falls. And, you know, if, if they were to move on to Dino, uh, move on from Dino, excuse me, is there someone out there that you really think would be, a, a, you know, a, a good noticeable amount better than, than what he and his staff have done the last couple of years? You know, I, I'm, that's a much more, <laughs> that's a much more mature way to look at this program in this situation than a, a lot of folks. So I figure we just start with you the, the hard hitting question right out the gate here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, don't get don't get the message. No, but but I'm, I'm serious though. You know, it it is like you know the 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 uh, the automatic question is is Dino on the hot seat, and it's just it's such a much more uh, layered conversation and discussion and dialogue than just that because you you're right. I think you know the reality and the infrastructure of the Syracuse program in upstate New York is 
certainly challenging and and needs to, I think, be uh, factored into when you start talking about, is this guy the right coach for this program at this time? You know, I remember, I remember coming on last year guys and, and, you know, at that point they were coming off a five and seven season. It was widely looked at as disappointed because they had a lot of expectations coming off that 10 win season. And you guys asked me, you know, what's the, what's, you know, you asked me to basically take the temp of the fan base and are they, are they at all concerned about the direction that the program's headed in under Dino? Well, now, you know, you're coming off a one in 10 season and, you know, all those alarm bells are even more uh, uh, out there and, and ringing like crazy uh, just because, you know, that was a historically low season for this program. You have to go all the way back to, you know, the, the, I believe the first year of Ben Schwartzwalder all the way back you know, the, the late 1940s, the last time they won one game in a, in a season. Uh, so, you know, last year was, last year was, was not acceptable for anyone. You know, they know, you know, you don't need to tell Dino that you don't need to tell the athletic director that you don't need to tell anyone who's intimately involved with, with the day-to-day operations of that program that, you know, that's certainly not going to get the job done. But uh, I do think there is, you know, as it relates to whether or not, you know, if this year goes poorly again, are they going to be looking to make a change? I do think one of the variables in that decision is going to come down. Okay. Let's, let's assess the landscape here and who can we get? And, you know, it's a job that I think lends itself to an experienced veteran coach who kind of knows their way around dealing with certain institutional challenges that a place like Syracuse presents. And so I think from that vantage point, you know, you have a a guy in Dino who, you know, has 30 plus years of coaching experience under his belt. He's kind of seen it all. Um, I think he has been to this point uh, as good a representative of the program as you can have, Um, you know, wins and losses, notwithstanding, you know, his guys, for the most part, have avoided some of those negative headlines. Uh, they seem to be doing a great, great job in the classroom. Um, some of those ancillary aspects of the program that, you know, it's maybe easy to point to and say, okay, this, you know, irrespective of wins and losses, this gives us a, an easy out to make a change. I don't, I don't know if those factors are there. So I think if they do make a change, it would, it would undoubtedly be chalked up to performance based at this time. Um but I, you know, to, I guess to answer your question, I don't know who is out there. <laughs> you know, you look at at traditionally where they pulled Dino from uh, when he got the job, and it was it was Bowling Green in the Mid American Conference, and he certainly was coming off a league championship in 2015 when he got the job. You look at some of the the preseason contenders in that league this year. You're looking at Sean Lewis at Kent State who, by the way, was on Dino's first staff (laughs) at Syracuse uh, and was the former OC here. So, you know, he knows the challenges of that program. And I don't know if he would, I don't know if he would take this job. You know, you look at maybe a guy like Mike New, who's a Midwest guy at Ball State. Uh, They have high hopes this year. I don't know if he would take this job. Uh, So then you go, maybe, maybe go look at the hiring trends that you see around the country right now. And you see a lot of schools tap uh, alumni, you know, whether it's men's basketball, you've seen these hires at Memphis and Michigan with, with Penny and Juwan Howard, uh, 
maybe you look at, at, at the alumni ranks and you go, okay, who's out there that would, that would check that box. And Syracuse head know, coach, the, Donovan McNabb. <sighs> you know, God. I, I am, um, I, I will, I will say this. There's a, there's an offensive line coach at Alabama right now named Doug Marone who went 500 at Syracuse mm-hmm. a decade ago and 500 at Syracuse doesn't look too shabby. <laughs> it doesn't look too shabby this, this time around. And, you know, yeah, I know he left for the NFL and he took most of his staff with him and it left you in a bad place for the next guy. But, you know, I got to believe that, you know, Doug, you know, he scratched that NFL itch the first time around. And you look at the jobs he got in the NFL, <laughs> the Buffalo bills and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, you know, he, to his credit, you know, he took the Jags to the AFC title game one year with Blake Bortles as his quarterback. So that tells me that he can develop a, a team. And you saw that at Syracuse. You saw him take a, a, a two-star prospect in Ryan Nassib out of Pennsylvania and turn him into a fourth-round NFL draft pick. You saw the work he did up front on the offensive line, which is maybe perhaps Syracuse's weakest position group you know, just in terms of the access to the types of recruits that they can bring into that position. And he coached those guys up, you know, he turned a two-star prospect in Justin Pugh into a first round draft pick for the New York giants in 2013, you know, Andrew Tiller, he brought in from the, from the prep school Juco ranks and turned into a, a, a multi-year NFL player. Uh, you know, <laughs> Mackie McPherson, a, a, a legacy recruit and the grandson of, of Syracuse hall of fame coach, Dick McPherson, uh, so many people in the fan base thought that this was just kind of a, a handout scholarship to a guy who, you know, clearly had a connection to the program. And he turned Mackey into a pretty good center who by the end of his time in the, in the ACC got all ACC recognition and, and ended up getting a camp invite to, to Buffalo as a, as a, as, as a, as an NFL rookie free agent. So, you know, I think that's the formula that you aspire to at this place. You got to look for a guy who can develop talent because you're not going to bring in the four and five star recruits unless you have a dramatic, dramatic shift in the whole paradigm of your program and community. Uh, and so, you know, you got to look at the guys who are going to be um, those those real, you know, real good football coaches who can develop talent um, and try to get by at a, at a place where you have to have the expectation that you know, you're probably not going to realistically win eight games every year. You know, I think at a place like Syracuse, at a place like Duke, at a place like Wake Forest, you know, you are the textbook developmental program that you hope year in and year out, you are certainly competitive and competing for bowl games, but you're really making your money uh, every three, four years when you cycle through a couple of recruiting classes, develop them, yep. get a senior-laden team, and then you take a run mm-hmm. every four years or so at the big boys. And I think that's – that's if, if Syracuse is right, that's what they look like. Um, and I think with Dino, I, I, I still think it's a little – it's a little premature to think they are expected to be peaking this year. I think they are still a year or two away from really getting another great shot like they had a couple years ago in 2018. When Boston College fired Steve Adazio, you know, Joey and I were looking at that job and we were kind of asking, okay, who would they hire? Now, we, we thought for a while that, you know, the Adazio experiment had kind of run its course at Boston College and we were wondering who they were going to hire and they, they went out there, they got Jeff Halfley, and then Phil Dracovic ended up being really good. And I was thinking in the back of my mind, as you were kind of answering this question, 
you know, everybody was talking about how great Boston College was last year and how big of a surprise they were. But I'm sitting here wondering, okay, I mean, this is pretty early in the tenure and he struck gold with a really good quarterback. Is that what's happening here at Syracuse where, you know, Babers gets Eric Dungy, Dungy is really good for a couple of years and then leaves. And now you're stuck searching for a quarterback. And I, and I sit here wondering if the, if the same thing is going to happen to Boston College. But regionally, it was a very similar job tough place to recruit um but we saw in year one kind of what you know inserting new blood into the program can do it's just a matter of consistency i guess and i just wonder if if you know halfley is going to end up kind of in this no man's land here in a couple years like dino babers is right now no no doubt and and you know I, i i'm glad you brought up the boston college comparison because it's 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 a situation that i think of fondly when i think of this topic and I think if you polled most Syracuse fans and you, and you ask them, well, what are you expecting out of your football program? They'll tell you, we want to go to a bowl game every year and maybe every three or four years have a chance at, at a, at a magical season. <laughs> well, Boston college with Steve Adazio went to a bowl game every year and he got six years and he got fired. Mm-hmm. Now he never had, he never had that, that 10 win season and broke out the way Dino did in 2018. And so that would be my counter argument is, do you really want six and seven wins every year? Or do you want a coach who has shown you and has proven you that he has maybe a higher ceiling than other guys and other places that, you know, someone who has shown that he can get you that 10 win season, that orange bowl type season every so often. And it may only come around once or twice every decade, but you know, that's just the reality. I think you have to kind of swallow if you're a Syracuse fan. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, Halfley, we'll, we'll see if he can keep it going. I think it helps when you have a quarterback. I think the same thing certainly helped uh, Dino when he got the job here in, in having Eric Dungy uh, already in, in the program here. Um, but there, but there's, you know, it, it's, it's such a hard job to win consistently when you don't have the type of program and, and personnel depth that, that these other guys have. And, and I think, uh, like I said earlier with Dino, like if you decide you want to make a coaching change after the season and you inject that, that new blood into the, into the program and he, he builds it up and they win 10 games in 2024, everyone's going to say you made a heck of a hire. And I would say that's exactly what Dino gave you when he got the job. <laughs> he got 10 games. He got 10 wins his third year too. And you deemed it three years later, not good enough. So, you know, if the only thing that's going to satisfy you as a fan base is consistently, <laughs> um, you know, living in that in that borderline top 25 world, um, I just think that is a that is a task that goes well beyond just hiring the right football coach. I think that is, again, so much needs to change here institutionally and in the community to really, you know, set yourself up for that kind of year in and year out success. Nate, let's talk quarterbacks a little bit, because I, I think going into this fall, Syracuse finds them in, in a, a particularly interesting spot here where you bring back Tommy DeVito, who would be in his third year of starting, if I'm counting correctly. Um, and yet it's it's really not that simple as far as what is the quarterback outlook for the entire year look like. Yeah, you know, you so Tommy, like you said, is technically going into his third year potentially as the starting quarterback. 
He's uh, a redshirt junior. So he's in his, he's in his uh, fifth year with the program and he has 15 starts under his belt. So he's a fifth year, he's a fifth year quarterback who has started a little bit more than one season's worth of games. So he's been around a while, but he does not have the game experience that you would typically associate with a fifth year quarterback. Um, you know, like for instance, the guy at Pitt and Kenny Pickett, right? Kenny has so many more games under his belt. And I think the expectations for Kenny and Pitt are different because he has that experience under his belt. So Tommy, you know, he's, he's been given a tough draw um, the last couple of years, I think with, with some of the surrounding parts, particularly along the offensive line, you know, he has been uh, among the most sacked quarterbacks in the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think there is a position group. uh, I don't think there is a group of quarterbacks in college football that have been sacked more than Syracuse's quarterbacks over the last couple of seasons in the entire country, not, not just power five, just Akron, you know, all 130 we're talking here. There hasn't been quarterbacks that have been hit more than Syracuse's. So that's Akron, gonna... Akron catching strays here. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, they, they only played like, uh, I don't know what, six games last year or something like that. So maybe, maybe Akron, if they, if you, uh, if you, if you, extend that out to, to a full two seasons worth of games. Maybe they're, maybe they're ahead of Akron, but we're just out here trying event. to protect the honor of our Bowling Green Falcons, Mike. That's right. <laughs> it, it has, it hasn't been good up front. And Tommy, Tommy is definitely um, taking a beating and uh, has been hurt the last couple of years, quite frankly, you know, he played, he played through some injuries in 2019 that um, certainly I think impacted his play on the field. And then last year, obviously he had the ankle injury that took him out in the fourth game and, and he missed the last seven. So, uh, point being, he hasn't been he hasn't been out there playing in in games that you would have hoped for at this point. And so, I think uh, when when the staff kind of assessed what they had in that quarterback room, you know, number one, they needed to to bring in more help from a standpoint of depth. You know, they they have seen what has happened really throughout the entire tenure when their starting quarterback has has gotten hurt and and you know, Dungy for as good as he was in 2018 uh, had been in and out of the lineup really throughout his entire career up to that, that point. And so 2018 was the only year in which Dino starting quarterback started the opener and finished the season healthy and they won 10 games. And in the, in the four other years in which they've had to dip their toe into the, the quarterback depth waters they are one and I believe 13 overall in those other, in those other four years. So they have not had the quarterback depth that they need to, to withstand an injury at that position. The exception being 2018 when, when they had DeVito spell Dungy in a couple key games and, and he performed honestly quite well. You know, he came on late against Florida state and finished that game off Florida State was was a mess at that point with Willie Taggart, and, and they had a they had a host of issues that that they're still kind of uh, climbing themselves out of and, and recovering from. Um, but he also came on in relief for Dungy, you know, in what ended up being a double overtime win against North Carolina. And you know, Tommy moved the ball vertically, pushed the ball downfield, made some really really big time throws that Syracuse needed to come from behind and win that game. And you know, essentially continue on that, that magical year in 2018. So um, I think the belief was that Tommy, when is, when he is given time can do some things back there in the pocket, he just hasn't had that time the last couple of years. And so I think, 
to increase their chances of success. Should the quarterback go down this year, they looked into the transfer portal. They pulled out a guy from Mississippi state uh, in Garrett Schrader, who brings a little bit different element to the, to the quarterback position than Tommy. He's can do some special things with his legs. He can run, uh, move around, um, extend plays, all the things that you might uh, look to utilize if your offensive line is struggling uh, per se. Um, and I think it was important for them to just bring in another older experienced guy who was kind of SEC tested just to enhance the quarterback room overall and push Tommy and see, okay, is this really the guy we think we have at that position? Because, you know, if, if Tommy is what they all envisioned him being when they recruited him um, at a high school, you know, he should welcome that competition and he should, he should ultimately win out in that competition. And if the other guy that they brought in is, is better than, you know, they roll with that guy. And then they know at least at the, at the end of the day, they have a, another experienced guy in DeVito who knows his way around the offense, knows what he's doing and can step in and perform at, ad, you know, adequately if, you know, again, the starter goes down. But I think the whole, the whole thing with the quarterback position for Syracuse this year is they intend whoever they name, as their starter for week one to be the starter the whole season. Uh, they're going to play the best guy, no matter who it is, but they have as they have a better insurance policy. They feel like they have a better insurance policy if the starter would get, get injured again. So specific to the offensive line, maybe a little bit to DeVito as well, but we're on a, on a macro level, you know, Syracuse is third in the conference in returning production and, I was going to make a joke tongue in cheek saying, is that actually a good thing with a one win team? But my real question is about COVID, right? And this team and everybody felt COVID in different ways, right? But how much should this affect this team specifically in the ACC, given all the struggles they had up front, given how poorly DeVito played at times last year, how much of a struggle it was to run the football? The defense, you know had some freak things happen. Um, obviously a Cisco injury in week three last year was something nobody saw coming. I mean, that was one of the more wild things that happened in the ACC in regard to losing a star player. I mean, how did just everything that went on in 2020 affect this team and lead to that one win season? I mean, we're not gonna make excuses, but you know, winning one game, having to be the, one of the worst teams statistically in like 40 years or 50 years, whatever it was like, how much did COVID affect us specifically? Yeah. I, I still, I still think guys were, were learning just how much it did impact this team. You know, that was one of my big takeaways from being down in Charlotte uh, for the ACC kickoff um, earlier this summer, uh, just talking to some of these guys about what went wrong last year is, you know, I think, th I think there's two ways to look at it, you know, from a protocol standpoint, Syracuse handled COVID well, you know, they, they really were one of the few teams in the country that skirted this thing without getting any positive tests and, and avoiding any game cancellations or any rescheduling. I mean, they went 11 for 11 playing the games they were supposed to play as scheduled on the dates they were originally scheduled in the summer. Uh, so from that vantage point, <laughs> you know, you look at it and they said, all right, they, they handled it pretty well. Um, New York, and we talked about this a lot last year, New York, you know, they bore the brunt of the pandemic earlier than the rest of the country. You know, it really started spiking up here in, in spring, you know, in March, April, May. Um, so it, it was, and this is what, you know, Dino and some of the guys 
talk to me about, you know, it felt very, very real to them being in New York, whereas in maybe other parts of the, of the country and in other geographical footprints within the conference, politics aside, whether it was taken seriously or not, it, it maybe just felt different in New York compared to a state like Georgia or Florida. Uh, you know, every day the governor was on TV, he became a, a quasi TV star just for his daily COVID updates and his daily press conferences. He was going through the numbers every day. He was talking about how, you know, <laughs> there's not enough ventilators in New York city to save these people's lives. Uh, so you have a very, very real situation in, in New York state that, you know, even if, even if the worst of the pandemic is downstate four and a half, five hours away in New York city, you know, the government, the, the state's response to the pandemic was statewide. So the same rules that were being applied in New York city were being applied in Syracuse, New York. And so when they reported back in June for their, for their workouts, you know, they were in four person pods initially, you know, they were with like their roommates and that was it. And that was who they had to stay, uh, spend time with the whole time. That was who they had to lift with. That was who they had to eat with. You know, there was no, there was no team chemistry. There was no team construct like there had been in past years. And I think that wore a lot of guys down mentally. Um, you know, again, at a place like Syracuse, when you need total buy-in and team culture is so important because you maybe don't have that exceptional athletic talent to overcome some of that stuff. Um, I think that can, that can be a big deal. Um, and that's, that's separate aside from the fact that they brought in new coordinators last year and spring practice was wiped out. So they're trying to install a new defense without any sort of on-field work. They have a new offensive coordinator come in without any sort of on-field work, uh, you know, then you get into the summer and you have this disjointed summer conditioning program. You move into the into August camp and Syracuse was, again, different from other places in the country. They had players legitimately go to the coaching staff and refuse to, to practice because they had so many questions that were not answered by the by the university's medical team and, and by the coaches about whether or not what they were doing was safe and smart to do. And that's not a knock on, on the administration or the medical, the, the medical people at Syracuse or the coaches, but COVID was so new still that, that some of the players questions that they wanted answers on, it was just unknown at that point because of how new this all was. So that created a lot of friction in the locker room. There were guys that it was a very divided locker room. They, you know, I think there were guys that were questioning whether or not there was even going to be a season last year. And again, you're talking about a team that that really couldn't afford, you know, they need all the practice they can get, number one, <laughs> you know, you know, they're not, you know, it's not like Trevor Lawrence can just roll in and he's going to do some magical things, things spinning that football with with limited practice. I mean, this is a team that needs all the practice they could get. And they, you know, voluntarily and in, and in some cases, uh, involuntarily missed out or skipped out on that much needed practice time. And so that absolutely factored in, I think, to their preparation leading into last season. And then on top of all that, as if all that isn't enough, then you have this just freakish run of injuries, particularly along the offensive line where, and as Dino put it, and, and, you know, granted, I'm not at practice. I can't verify any of this. I'm just telling you what Dino told me with the exception of one guy, every single offensive lineman that was injured last year, 
got injured off the field away from the practice field. So it, I mean, he said one guy got hurt walking down steps. So you're just talking, I think about every domino that fell, every domino that fell last year fell in the wrong direction for this, for this team. (laughs) And uh, you know, it's been well-documented. I mean, their offensive line was, was decimated to the point depleted to the point where they had to start the fullback at left guard for, you know, three quarters of the season. They were at the point, they were at the point where if the, if the fullback hadn't done that, they were brushing up right against, you know, the minimum number of required offensive linemen that the ACC required you to, to have healthy to play just to be able to field the team. And so week to week, it really became, are we going to be able to field the team this week? Because God forbid, if they had another injury in a game or in a practice, uh, you know, there stands a chance that they might not have had enough players to be able to suit up. And so it changes the way you practice because you can't go maybe as hard as you want to do because you're afraid of a guy getting hurt. Number one, you don't have the bodies to, to be able to, to even feel the too deep. So that certainly impacts your impacts your practice. It was, it was just, you know, a, a really, really fluky, exceptional, different year that, you know, you almost just want to, wipe the slate clean and move on. But uh, again, you know, talking, I talked about this with Dino after the season, you know, uh, it was, it was so important for him to play every game and field the team for 11 games last year because he knew, or at least he is hoping and is optimistic that the experience that all those young guys went through last year paid off. You know, if they, if they chose not to play, you know, Dino's talked about this, if they chose not to play, if they chose to, to, to sit out forfeit, whatever you want to call it, all those young guys <laughs> that they have coming back this year are still young guys, but they don't have that, that valuable game experience under they under their belt that they gained last year, even though they went one in 10, they still got those game reps. They still got that game tape. They still got those experiences against, you know, good, a good North Carolina team a good Clemson team, a good Notre Dame team. Um, and they're really banking on that experience for however painful it was last year, aiding the development into this season and, and making it all worthwhile. And, you know, they're still young, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, particularly in the secondary, they're still young, but, you know, they'd rather be young and have 12, you know, 10, 11 games under experience than young and having no games under, under their, under their belts. All right. So Nate, I want to talk about the defense here for a second, and I need you to, I need you to follow along with me as I walk through this journey here for a second, and tell me at the end, am I onto something or am I am I missing something? So I, I look at this. I Syracuse. like this. This sounds great. Oh yeah, though, I'm going to take on an adventure here. So <laughs> this Syracuse team under Babers, I mean, Dino is an offensive guy. He came off the Bryles tree. They run a very up tempo, high paced, high scoring offense. I mean, so just naturally the whole time that he's been here, the, the natural thing to key in on is, is how the offense is doing. Um, as, you know, and kind of going with that, the defense, a lot of times, you know, for most of his tenure has kind of been a struggle. Um, and then coming into last year, new defensive coordinator, as you mentioned, all the injuries, you just look at the numbers, you look at how many points they gave up, you look at the, the SP plus rating and all this, like this defense was rough last year. And so it's I, to me, it's very easy to go into this year and say, well, 
Hopefully Syracuse can score 48 points a game because, you know, they're not going to be able to stop a whole lot of anybody based on all these things that I presented to you before. However, my assertion is this. I think Syracuse might be a sneaky, really good defensive team coming into this year. And here's why. Number one, as we've discussed a little bit, they bring back basically everybody on this defense. And as many, you know, it's not always great to bring back everybody off a bad unit, but it was a, it was a young unit, as you mentioned. I mean, there were a lot of injuries that forced guys into playing earlier than they needed to last year. B, they were playing for a, a new defensive coordinator who, you know, was pretty well regarded coming in. It was a good hire, all these things. But three, the thing that I think was is easy to forget a little bit and that we harped on a little bit on this show last year was I felt like, honestly, the Syracuse's defense was actually pretty good in like the first half of games or so. And then the offense just like couldn't get first downs and like the dam broke with the defense. And I mean, it, it was just. Am I crazy? Like thinking, bringing back these guys for a second year in the system and, and, and a good system at that and, and thinking we saw some positive signs if you really knew what you were looking for last year. I feel like this defense is in a, a good position to take a pretty good jump. Am I crazy, Nate? No, I, I, I to answer your original question, I think you're onto something. <laughs> I think you're onto something. Uh, I told you it was an adventure. You're right. I, I know you want to <laughs> – I know you're trying to frame this conversation defensively, but I don't know if you can talk about the defense without talking about the offense because I think, to your point, the defense's numbers may be – look a little ugly at times. And I think that is largely because the offense was so ineffective. I mean, so, I mean, historically bad. <laughs> I mean, like the, the number of times they would go three and out their their, their third down rate was awful. Uh, their, their third and short conversion rate is awful. I mean, they, they were almost as bad as you can imagine them being on offense last year. I do not think that can be overstated <laughs> enough. Um, and so, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna impact your defense because they're gonna be on the field uh, a, a lot more slaps, a lot more snaps than you ought to be. I mean, just take just go back and look at the box score for the Louisville game when they lost thirty to nothing, and just look at the play differential in that game. I mean, that that tells you everything you need to know. Um, you know, they, you know, they were they were playing with Carolina, and I know the open, it, you know. It was the first game coming off a, a funky offseason, but they held Carolina's offense in check for three quarters in that game before the game got got away from them a little bit in the fourth quarter. Again, largely because their offense couldn't move the ball. But you're talking about one of the more explosive offenses in the country last year and, you know, bringing in that new defense without much prep work in the offseason did some things against Carolina, did some things, you know, repeatedly throughout the course of the season. I think the biggest thing that this defense has has shown it can hang its hat on year in and year out to the point where I don't I don't know I'm not confident in saying it's it's luck at this point is they force turnovers year in and year out. I mean this goes all the way back to to when Brian Ward was a defensive coordinator in 20 like the 2017 season. Brian who? On yeah, Brian Ward. Of Ward. <laughs> He's now yeah, Brian Ward. Yeah, he was the he was the he was the yeah he was the defensive coordinator when Dino first got here. He's now out in uh, out Nevada on on uh, Norvell's staff coaching linebackers. But 2017 on, they are they are near the top of the country in turnovers forced, and to me that's the game. To me, to me that's the game. 
forget all the other numbers. If you are stealing possessions away, if this, if this is right, and if this program's right, and you, and you are plus in the turnover margin, and you give your offense extra possessions to, to score, you're going to, you're going to win more games than you're not. But, but the problem is they've had, they had all these opportunities via turnover where they handed the offense some prime field position most times and the offense could not do anything with it. And again, I hate to say it all goes back to the offense, but it all goes back to the offense. You know, you start cashing in a lot of those, those turnovers into points, you know, they're not one in 10, you know, they're probably not five and seven the previous year. I mean, they're, they're, they're winning more games than they, than they have been uh, if their offense is right. Um, defensively, I, I like, I like, some of the makeup of their players. I, I, you know, I think it was absolutely critical that they got all three of their starting defensive linemen back as, as super seniors taking advantage of that coronavirus rule where, where the guys could play an extra year, because if, if they had lost those seniors, you're turning over your entire defensive line to a bunch of underclassmen. And that's usually not a strong recipe for a strong defense. So they have some experience at, up front at scrimmage. Their linebackers are young, uh, but they are around the ball. They are creative. They are disruptive. You know, uh, Stefan Thompson uh, got on the field and won a job out of camp last year as a true freshman and uh, believe the FWAA gave him uh, freshman All-America honors after last season. You know, Michael Jones, uh, one of the more disruptive linebackers in the conference, you know, has his hand in, uh, had a hand in eight different turnovers last year, had four interceptions as a linebacker last year. So he's around the ball a lot. He's a good player out of IMG. Uh, you know, the, and the defense, you know, the, the, this is the crazy thing. All those guys that they lost to the NFL, the Cisco's, the Melifonu's, the Trill Williams, they were three and out guys. If he was a, if he was a fourth year junior, but they all had eligibility to return this year had they chosen not to not to jump to the NFL. So if you would have told me they could have returned those three guys with the guys they had up front with that that young nucleus at linebacker and and Dino's Dino's harped on this too. Then we can talk about doing something we did 3 years ago in 2018. Then we can talk about a defense if their offense you know stays healthy and and moves the ball even adequately and scores even adequately, you know, then it's like, you know, giddy up let's go but you know those guys went to the nfl and then that's you know that's certainly not a bad thing you certainly don't uh you certainly don't deprive those guys of opportunities where they can change their families' lives but but now you now you're a little younger on the back end and now you have to kind of reload at that position um but i will say that that position in the secondary is how is how this thing's supposed to look you know you want to be in a position where your younger guys are just as talented as your older guys, but the older guys have that experience and that knowledge that, okay, that, that makes the difference between those two, those two uh, kind of subsets of, of players. You know, you look at the, the makeup of this secondary. Now you have a guy like Garrett Williams who stepped in as a, as a starter last year as a redshirt freshman freshman and was one of the better cornerbacks in the league. And is probably entering this year as one of the top corners corners in the conference. And, if he has a good year, might have a similar decision to make at the end of the season, like those other guys did last year. So uh, they got a they got a four star recruit in out of New Jersey, induced Chestnut, who you know had a strong. He was a January enrollee and is moving up the depth chart in the spring and and moving into camp. You know that is 
that room is functioning at a level uh, better than any other position group on the, in the program right now. And, and that's what, you, that's what you are aspiring for at these other position groups. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, year two, I think these guys are going to get the, the, the system and the, and the knowledge and the, the language and, and the why of why they're doing certain things defensively down pat this year, more so than last year, just because they do have more of that off field work and more of that experience. So, yeah, I think, I think they are in a position to, to certainly not take a step back, you know, taking a step forward, I think is, is again, some of that is dependent on, on how the offense performs and, and, you know, you look around the league, there's a lot of good returning quarterbacks in the ACC this year. There's a lot of good returning players on offense this year. I mean, it's going to be hard and I mean, look only at the way, you know, the national championship has gone the last couple of years. It is hard to stop people in college football these days and so that's why I think if you get those turnovers at the rate that these these guys are creating turnovers, that's what you're aspiring for. That that can really make a difference in terms of whether you're going to win or lose the game. Hey, let's take a look at the schedule. Joey mentioned uh, before we hit record that the over-under win total for Syracuse is three and a half, and you're getting <laughs> you're giving money on the under, so it's going to be a problem. Um, but I'm looking at yeah. So there you go. That tells you everything you need to know. But I'm looking at the, the schedule. If you squint a little bit, there are some winnable games here for Syracuse uh, based off of everything we talked about. Now, I, I know they were just picked last in the in the Atlantic. It's, you know, on paper, it's like, all right, well, they're returning pieces, but it was a one-win team last year. But I'm looking at this. I mean, they, they open up on the road at Ohio, but Ohio's replacing Frank Zolich, who retired due to health reasons in the middle of the summer. Rutgers is getting better. You get them second week of the year at home. Albany's got to be a winnable game. Beat Albany in week three. Liberty's going to be tough. You get them at home. Florida State, kind of a crapshoot with Norvell, um, but that's on the road, always tough. Wake Forest, probably one of the sneaky, tough games on the schedule, but you get them at home. Clemson, you never say never because they've done it before in the Carrier Dome. <laughs> that's the only preview on a Friday night. On a Friday night. On a Friday night. In Blacksburg against Virginia Tech, which you know Fuente's on the hot seat. That uh, that's anybody's game, unfortunately, for the Hokies and my alma mater. Um, Boston College, you get them at home. Bye week at Louisville at NC State, home against Pitt. I don't hate how this sets up for Syracuse. I can't believe I'm saying that. You know, uh, there's so many people that have begged Syracuse and their schedule makers to make the schedule easier. <laughs> and you look at that non-conference schedule and it's like, how much easier can you try to make this thing? You got to remember that they scheduled Liberty like three, four years ago when Liberty was transitioning from, from FCS or, or as an independent into, into the FBF, FBS level. So Liberty was not, you know, Liberty had Turner Gill as their coach. They did not have Hugh Freeze as their coach. They did not have right. Malik Willis on their team. Right. So that game has gotten substantially more difficult than what you envisioned it being. Okay. Rutgers, the Rutgers series was supposed to be, was originally a Wisconsin home and home that they, right. that they, <laughs> you know, basically flipped with Rutgers. So again, Rutgers, you scheduled that when Kyle Flood was your, or, uh, excuse me, when uh, Chris Ash was the coach. And now you have Shiano, who, to your point, is building this up rather quickly. And he's literally uh, the only coach, literally the only coach in school history that can make Rutgers good. 
So I feel like I feel like if, if you're Syracuse, you're like, what do we got to do to get a break here on the schedule? But that being said, I do feel like if you can't, you know, if you can't, if you can't make it work with this schedule, where's this? Show me a schedule where you're going to make it work. You know what I mean? Like if you can't beat Rutgers at home, what are we doing here? And I think that's 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 what it comes down to for me is I think we're going to know everything we need to know about this team this year by the second week of the season. You know, I think Ohio, you know, right now Vegas has it as a pick them or maybe Syracuse, maybe that line moved up to Syracuse minus one, <laughs> but let's just call it a pick them right now. If that's how Vegas is seeing that game, knowing that Ohio consistently contends in that league, you know, I know they get, I know they have a new coach, but the coach that they promoted and, and made the permanent coach is the, the longtime OC for Solich. So, you know, there's certainly continuity there that this is not going to be a, a major upheaval at Ohio. Um, they're going to be more, more motivated than ever to, to try to beat a P5 team in their, in their home opener. It's very, very rare that a P5 goes to a mid-American conference school. Uh, I think Syracuse is the only one to do that this year. So, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think if, if they, if they stub their foot week one, you know, brace yourself because it's going to, it's going to get bad here. I mean, everyone's at that point and I don't need to wait until September 5th to tell you that everyone's going to be asking about when are they going to get rid of the football coach if they stub their toe week one. Week two, I think if they can get through the first two weeks unblemished. I think they're going to have a shot at six. Uh, beat Ohio, you know, beat Rutgers. You're saying? Yep, yep. If they can get, if they can, get, if they can get to two and if they can beat Rutgers, to me that shows me okay, they're they're better than they were a year ago, and they can take a run at six wins. Uh, Liberty's going to be a tough game, no doubt. Malik Willis is getting first round draft buzz. He's a special guy. Liberty, yep. you know, you look, you can say this for almost every team in college football in terms of returning production, Liberty has a ton of production coming back. That is going to be a hard game, but it's a Friday night game in the dome. So if you're coming out three and zero, cause you're, you're going to get by Albany. If you come out three and zero, you're going to have a pretty, I think rambunctious crowd for that game. Revenge factor for getting, you know, embarrassed last year at home by Liberty, all that stuff. I think is at play. Who knows? Buckle up. Uh, but then you get, you know, as it, as it has, routinely come down with this team it comes down to conference play and you know i think it's i think a lot of the proverbial toss-up games for this team this year you know florida state virginia tech louisville they're all on the road and that's that's what gives me pause is that they have not performed well at florida state they have not performed well at louisville i mean they haven't even been close to these teams when they're going down there and playing, I mean, they're, they're getting beat by 30 points when they go down to Florida state, they're getting beat by 30 points when they go to Louisville. And, you know, I know, again, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances with, with personnel and injuries and every year is different. And I get that, but you know, they gotta, they gotta get over the, they gotta get over those humps. Uh, if they're going to, if they want to get to six wins, you know, I do think Virginia tech, it's, probably one of the more difficult places to play in the league, but I don't, I don't like Virginia Tech's makeup this year. I know some guys do. I think they are good up front. I think they still are going to have a run game. You know, there's a, there's a big question mark at the quarterback position and that's, that's what gives me pause with Virginia Tech. And, you know, the Fuente stuff we've talked about that also gives me pause is uh, 
you know, if they get off to a slow start, are they going to pull the trigger by, by Halloween? You know, who knows, you know, do they want to, you know, I wouldn't, you want to try to get an early jump on, on getting the next guy. in if you can, if that's the direction you deem you want to go in. So, you know, I think the schedule sets up where, you know, they're, they're going to have a shot at, at competing against most of these teams in the league. If their best personnel continues to be on the field and, and is healthy you know, the track record for that happening isn't great. It really only happened one, one, one time in Dino's tenure so far. Um, you know, I, I, I like what Florida state did in the transfer portal with Milton and Jermaine Johnson and Jamie Robinson. Uh, I think NC state, you know, their schedule wasn't as difficult last year in ter- in terms of uh, overall strength of schedule for playing an all ACC slate. So I think they, they, I think expectations are are going to be high for them going into this year, coming off eight wins and returning all the talent they have coming back with, with Peyton Wilson and, you know, Bam Knight and uh, the offensive line intact and, and Leary coming back off the injury. Um, Again, that game for Syracuse is down at NC state where they have not, have not come away with a win. And since their first year in the league and Doran's first year in 2013. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough slate, but, you know, the, the, the BCs, the wakes, the pits, I think they, for the most part are late enough in the year where if some of those programs lose some personnel and Syracuse keeps its best personnel, you know, they can, they can come away with those wins, particularly because all three are at home. Yeah. I was going to say, Nate, I mean, there's, there's, there's kind of two schools of thought, I think, in terms of judging schedule difficulty, one being, well, you want your toughest games at home. Um, you know, being that gives you the best chance to win them or whatever. In my mind, there's another school of thought that says, I want some of my most winnable games at home to give me like fewer factors that might screw up my chances of winning them, you know, especially for teams that, as we're talking about, are kind of, you know, their goal is like bowl game eligibility. You know, it's they're not trying to go make the playoff or something like that. Like, if it's just about getting to six wins, it's like, well, I've got these home games against this, that, and the other team that I feel pretty good about. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the easiest path, right? Again, game one, Ohio. Game two, Rutgers, home game. You get to two, game three, Albany. So that's three, and then you have those other three, Wake, Pitt, BC. If those are your those three home games that you're circling and saying, okay, if we can get by those three, checkmate. You know, that's six. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> you mean, know, everything after six is gravy. You know. All of those teams, I would I would bank on being better than Syracuse. None of them, I would bank on being unbeatable no by Syracuse. You know, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, they played they played a three point game with BC last year. You know, uh, you know, Pitt again got away from them in the second half, largely because they couldn't move the ball. But you know, that game's not that game's after Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, who knows what these rosters are going to look like late September, or late November. You know, Wake. You know, Wake is deep this year. Wake is as deep as they've ever been this year because they have a ton of seniors re- returning, and they got yeah, it's sneaky. Tough. You know, they got their they got their quarterback back, but you know, they just lost Donovan Green for the year too. <laughs> you know, they lost they lost their I think their right tackle for the year, or one of their offensive linemen for the year. So Wake's a, Wake's a program that you know again, once you start chipping away at that at that starting that starting eleven that starting twenty two, you know that's where that's where they get exposed a little bit. And that's when you can maybe exploit them and take advantage of them. And again, you're playing in the dome, 
you know, Wake has a very specific style that if you stop their run game and are patient enough with that slow developing run game and stay home and read your keys and you bottle that up, you know, you can, I mean, if, again, if you're Syracuse and, and, and you feel like you can't play with Wake, I mean, like, what are we doing here again? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. Right. <laughs> All right, Mike, you, you, you've you so far in these previews, you've put me on the spot first to pick a record. I'm putting you on the spot. What What's your thought here from a record prediction standpoint? I'm going to go four and eight. I think they're better. I think they're better than last year. I, if all goes well, sure, you can, you can squint and see six. I, I could, there's just a lot of improvement that needs to take place on the offensive line. DeVito needs to prove that he's more of the guy that, you know, came in in relief of Dungy rather than kind of what he's been the last couple of seasons that we've seen him. Um, you know, and I still, I still look at that September slate and like I mentioned, I, I like overall how the schedule is laid out for Syracuse, but Ohio will be tough on the road. Rutgers is going to be like weirdly competitive and annoying to play against. Uh, they're not going to be like real good yet, but they're going to be annoying. Um, Liberty. I, I mean, I can't believe you're now drawing like a, basically a top 35 Liberty team <laughs> based on when the schedule was made. It's unbelievable to me. Um, but again, there's going to be a lot of variability in conference. It's, it's funny. Cause I think in, in both divisions, you know, outside of Clemson winning the conference, I think it's pretty wide open in terms of kind of who's going to emerge um, in each division, um, the Atlantic especially, because there are a lot of teams, in my opinion, I, you know, I look at NC State and Boston College, I think they overperformed or outperformed expectations last year. Um, I think Florida State let a few slip away, you know, so, so when I kind of take a step back and look at just in the Atlantic division, you know, why can't Syracuse sneak up on Boston College in the Carrier Dome? You know, why can't they beat a Pittsburgh team in, in late November at home in the Carrier Dome when, you know, who knows what Pitt's playing for then? You know, Pitt could be, you know, Pitt could win the Coastal, <laughs> theoretically, or they could be like fifth in the Coastal, right? So who knows what, what team you're going to see in, in late November, like you mentioned, Nate. So I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go four and eight. I think it's better. I think four and eight saves Gino's job, by the way, which would be a development. Um, I think if he wins like a game again, he's he's gone. I mean, I, I don't think you can go like two and what do you what do you go one in one in ten last year? You know, I, I don't think that, you can go like to me. That is going to be that is going to be that is going to make for a whole different discussion. Is yeah. is, is is how much better is four and eight? compared to last year's record. Yeah. When you great. factor in that last year's schedule was a 10 game conference slate. Right. You know, if you had Ohio and Albany on last year's schedule, they'd be three and nine. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. That's three and nine, true. three and nine, four and eight are a heck of a lot closer than four and eight and one and 10. So yeah, it's going to so be, maybe it's the conference schedule that tells a story. I mean, that's a, that's a great point. Maybe mm -hmm. it's the conference schedule. It truly tells a story there. Joey. Hmm. Yeah, he's thinking. I think, no, I think I'm with you. I think I'm with you at four and eight. I think I'm with you yeah. at four and eight. I mean, it's just again, it's kind of what they've been. It's, but it is factoring in. I mean, I, I like I said, I think I do see some some significant improvement really from the defensive side of the ball. Um, the, the offense, 
really, I mean, other than probably that 2018 year and maybe the year before with Eric Dungy, other than that, the offense has not has not been outstanding just generally across the the Babers tenure. Um, so, I mean, with that, and then you kind of, again, put it up against the schedule. I, You guys are spot on that, like, freaking three years ago, if we sat here and said their 2021 out-of-conference schedule is Ohio, Rutgers, Albany, and Liberty, we'd be like, oh, well, that's three and one, if not four and oh. It's like now, it's right. like, how did all of those teams happen to become functional all at one time? I don't know. Um, so that's kind of rough. But, but at the same time, again, I mean, you've got – winnable home games I think in the conference slate and so I mean I'm gonna go four and eight I'm with you Mike but in a way it's like I could see it being worse I could also see it being better like it's yeah I'm I'm curious I mean again like what is this we said year six I think of the Babers tenure I mean they're I, I don't know. I, I just there, there could be a, a separate level of development last year as Nate, as you outlined in a lot of depth, like it was just different playing football in the state of New York than it was in yeah Massachusetts, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, you know, wherever all else this conference is like, there's reason to believe there's a significant jump from this team from last year to this year. I, you know, so four and eight, uh, is, what, is what I'm going to say. I'm going to say four and eight. And, and, prediction. And, and Nate, Nate, as you answer this question about the record, also sneak in there what it would take for Dino to either A, lose his job, or B, save his job, however you want to frame it. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's you know, it's interesting, uh, the one point you brought up about how, you know, you look at the schedule three years ago, you're thinking, all right, uh, the non-con schedule, it's a slam dunk for no. <laughs> well, you know, Syracuse had permission to get better too. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, That's one way to put it, yeah. Like, True. yeah, gr- good on good on Liberty for hiring <laughs> an SEC-tested coach. Good on Liberty for bringing in a transfer from Auburn who is freakishly talented. You know, good on Rutgers uh, – for bringing in a guy who knew how to recruit and, and lock out and lock up New Jersey and, and make that place competitive again. Um, so yeah, I mean, Syracuse was Syracuse was allowed to, to capitalize on their 2018 season and 10 win season and get to a place where, you know, you're not looking at this schedule and thinking, Oh my gosh, might we lose to Ohio in week one? <laughs> like, so, so yeah, I, I think that's part of it. I, I think, uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go a shade higher and, and say they get to five. Um, and that's just, that's just not me being uh contrarian or anything like that. I, I do think, um, I, I do think they're going to slip up at Rutgers in, in, in week two. And I think that is ultimately going to be the game that they, that they look back on and, and wish went a different way. Um, but you know, this, this league, you know, again, outside of the, outside of the first year they were in the league when they went 500 and outside of the 2018 season, when they won 10 games, they've, I don't think they've won more than two games in any, in any other year uh, they've been in the conference. So they've, they've struggled to, to win games in the league. They've struggled to, to compete in this league and, and until they can, you know, get over those, those middle of the pack teams like the Louisville's, the NC States, you know, the BC's, the, the wakes, obviously, unless they're more competitive really against the, the top half of those teams, you know, they, you know, they've beaten wake and BC more than any other team in the league, you know, not, not surprisingly, 
you know, but they've, they've beaten Louisville once, you know, they've beaten NC state once, you know, they've beaten Florida state once, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they've beaten Clemson once too. Um, but you know, those are, those are to this point, uh, aberrations and they, and you'd like to see them, uh, at least be a little bit more competitive against some of those teams before you, you start predicting them, I think, to have routine success against them. But, uh, I do think they get to five. Uh, I will say they win three conference games this year. I do think they're going to get, uh, Virginia tech at Virginia tech. Um, you know, not that this has any bearing on this year's game, but Dino, you know, Dino got Fuente in 2016 in the, in the first year with Dungey at the dome, um, the carnage and the fan base would be epic. If that Syracuse was, <laughs> off Virginia tech. that was their, uh, that was the first top 25 win for Dino, uh, when he got here. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I again, I think, uh, I, I, that's just more. That's just more my feeling on how things are going to go for for Virginia Tech this year, more so that's than, than anything else. Um, and then I and then I, think, I do think they'll they'll beat Wake, and I think they'll I think they can pick off either you know BC or, or Pitt. You know, you take your pick on that. But they'll get they'll I think they'll get one of those those two teams and uh, and finish five and seven, three and uh, three and five in the league. I, is that enough to to keep Dino? I will, I will, it's a good question. I, I, I think, yes, I think that, um, you know, the, the administration has, uh, really, really tried to, to surround Dino with, uh, the infrastructure to, to improve the, the overall state of the program. You know, this is going to be the, his largest staff this season uh, that he's ever had before uh, in terms of uh, analysts, support staff, that kind of thing. Um, so they're investing in staff. Uh, you know, they've, they've, they're, they're at a place I think where um, they're going to be able to compete with some of these middle of the pack teams in, in the league. You know, if you look at the numbers, their spending is, is more akin or more on par to some of these other teams in, in the ACC that, that they, that is not named Clemson or Florida state or Miami uh, or Virginia tech. Um, so they're, they're slowly, but surely kind of chipping away and, and closing that gap a little bit. Um, but the big thing is, and continues to be just, um, you know, the depth that, that Syracuse has relative to some of these other teams in the league. And that all goes back to recruiting. And, you know, if, if they feel like, you know, the younger guys, to me, the key word for this whole year, and and I think the AD talked about this and kind of set this agenda at the end of last season, it is going to be development. You know, if they go out and these young guys that are coming up in the secondary and at the linebacker position and, and even, and even, you know, more so on offense, if they show that they are, that they are moving in the right direction. Uh, I don't think you, I don't think you, you pull the plug and, and make a drastic revision at this point. I think you, you kind of ride it out and see, you know, again, who you can kind of maintain and keep and convince to stay an extra year with that, with that COVID eligibility rule that essentially froze everyone's eligibility and see if you can load up and make, and make a run next year. I think, um, you know, that, that'll, that'll tell the tale on that, but, you know, at some point and, you know, I, I would I would love to be able to to put this on the record and, and say it is gospel, but um, there have been reports out there that 
when Dino signed the extension in 2018, that that was through 2024. So we're going to be coming up on, on 2022. And at, at some point you're going to have to make a decision. Do you, do you drop the contract extension or do you make a move? And it's, it's, you know, cause once you start going in that territory where, you know, you're kind of on the fence and you, and you really don't know if you want to extend them or if you want to make a move, you know, that, you know, it, it couldn't, it, quite frankly, it might not need to be true, but if the perception and the reports are that his contract is expired in 2024, that will be negatively used against you on the recruiting trail by your competitors. If you don't lock that up and extend them. And so I think that, that, you know, we could spend another 30 minutes talking about that dynamic, about how that factors into uh, whether or not he, he keeps his job or not. But, but at some point you're going to have to make a decision on whether, you know, you want to extend him or not. And, you know, I think if you, if you get to six wins this year, I think that gives you cover to quietly do that. You know, even if it's just for another two year, two, three years, you know, you don't have to do it another six year, seven year long-term extension where you, you significantly up his pay, but you can quietly kind of tack on another year or two to that deal and at least give you that kind of four year security blanket that you need to kind of be able to tell your guys that, yeah, you know, I'm going to be here throughout your career. But um, yeah, I, I think, you know, five is five. I think you're going to, I think you'd be hard pressed to see a change at five, even though there's going to be a lot of calls for that to happen because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's five losing seasons in six years. And that just, when you put it that way, it doesn't look good, <laughs> but when you really start to peel back a couple layers um, and again, kind of address the realities of what this program is, um, you know, I, I think there is, there is some wisdom in being patient and, and seeing if you can make another run uh, in 2022 with, with the current guys that you may or may not have uh, coming back in the program. Well, and, and Nate, no, I think we've, we close with this here. I, I think you said it best. And yeah, I mean, I, I was following along right there with you from a thought process talking about, you know, what is a reasonable expectation for this program? And it is, this is, this is not that perennial 10, 11 win, you know, knocking on the door to, to win the conference, win the national title kind of program. Like it is, can you jump up every three to four years and, and put together, you know, a bunch of juniors and seniors and develop some players and, maybe then you win eight, nine games a year, and then you try to kind of stay bowl eligible in the other years in between type of program. Right. And so, you know, that, that's, that's the target point. And so having a couple of years where you don't make a bowl game or something, isn't necessarily, you know, the, the end of everything as a coach either at a program like this. So it really does come down to expectations and, and budget and what can you afford and, and what is reasonable again, what comes next if you do make that move. So, I tend to agree. You know, I think you step that, take that step forward four and eight, maybe even five and seven. And you know, you stick with it another year and, and you just see, because putting in the financial investment to, to move on to a different coaching staff. I mean, that's more likely to set you back than it is to, to gain you something in, in a lot of programs across the country. So, um, so I tend to agree with you there, Nate. Um, thank you so much for your time. I, I don't know if you've noticed, but Mike is no longer on this video call. Um, <laughs> Mike's modem apparently went out. I told you early in the show we were having some technical difficulties yesterday. They have jumped up and bit us again, but it is just you and I. We're going to finish out here. Thank you so much for your time. This has been an, an insanely insightful, knowledgeable, informative conversation. 
relative to the Syracuse football program in general. Thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to tell the people real quick where they can go find your stuff? Yep, I want to make sure it hasn't changed. I'm still at uh, Mink Nate on Twitter, so last name first, followed by the first name, and uh, all my content and all all our staff's content. Uh, we have multiple guys pitching in and, and covering the SU athletic program is all on Syracuse.com. So so check it out. Uh, I will I will make a plug. You know, consider sub- consider subscribing. You know, helping out the local the local news outlets uh, around the conference. You know, the more quality coverage we all can provide you guys the more richer uh i think the experience is following along and and keeping tabs on the league please do please do highly recommended nate thank you so much this is 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 a pleasure it is a a privilege is a treat as always having you on thank you so much please come back sometime soon absolutely thanks for having me absolutely all right we got to get out of here uh as i mentioned mike's not here to do the outro so we're doing it solo style we'll see how this goes um, we're going to come back and preview some more teams. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SOS together. We're at BC podcast ACC. And as mentioned, you can find him at mink Nate. His name's Nate mink, but the Twitter handle is at mink Nate. So go find him there on Twitter. Uh, appreciate those who have, you can find us on, uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference. We're on Instagram, uh, at BC Podcast ACC, you can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, anywhere else you can find your podcast. Please do so. Hit that subscribe button, share us with your friends, give us a rating. We love all those things. You guys are fantastic for doing so. We plan to continue previewing all these teams as we work our way towards the football season here in a few short weeks. Uh, Nate, that's all I got. Anything else for the people before we get out of here? I'm all, I'm all set again. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on, man. We'll have you on sometime soon. All right. Absolutely. Take care. You too. All right. Well, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Mr. Nate Mink, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. (laughs) 